0: If you have a Bible, let's open to page one of that Bible, literally. (laughs) Book of Genesis, chapter one. We live in a day where there seems to be an extraordinary confusion of what it means to be a man or a woman. This was illustrated in the highly publicized confirmation hearing last year of now Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. If you remember that, when she was asked by the senator if she could provide a definition for the word woman. And she replied, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Now, we may question uh, the motives for asking her that question and her non-response, but it at least illustrates the confusion and controversy over something that was once fairly straightforward and assumed. I don't think it's an exaggeration or an overstatement To say that we live not only in unusual times, but that we live in unprecedented times where there seems to be almost a revolution seeking to redefine the very essence of our human identity, of what it means to be a man or a woman. So we need, as Christians, We need, once again, to turn to the book, God's Word, to the author, the creator of humanity, and to grasp His beautiful design for men and women. What I've entitled here, God's Grand Design, the Beauty of Biblical Complementarity. Now, the aim of this series, the aim of this study, is not to attempt to confront all the cultural issues of transgenderism, homosexuality, gay marriage, etc., though all of those issues are inseparably related to what we're going to study. But that's not the focus of our study. The aim of this study is to see and better grasp the good, grand design of God in the creation of men and women, a divinely designed complementarity as it applies to life in general, but more specifically to the roles and relationships in the family and in the church. That's where we're going. Now, I'm very purposely not starting in the New Testament with roles in the church I'm not starting there because when we get there, we will get there. We have to get there. When we get there, I want you to see that the specific applications in the family and in the church are not arbitrary, and they're not merely cultural, but they are part of God's grand design being unfolded and displayed through the whole Bible. This issue of men and women in the church is not simply a debate over one or two passages and how we take them. Those passages are important. But this is about the grand sweep of God's word, this beautiful design, I'll call it, of complementarity and how it expresses itself and, yes, how it's applied in family and the church. So that's why I'm not starting there. I'm starting here in on page 1 and hope to give us this grand sweep so that when we get there we can see it's just a piece of the big picture. And my aim is that we would see his design as beautiful. As his gift of manhood and womanhood. Not demeaning, not unfair, not restrictive not archaic, but beautiful and desirable. That's my aim. It's a big aim, and that's what we're going to try to look at. Now, you may not agree with me on every point. That's fine. You want to have those discussions, but I'm going to try to lay it out for you as we see it in the scripture. One other word of introduction. What do I mean by complementarity? So, complementarity, I'm using that word, so let me just give you a little definition at the front end, and then that's what we're going to try to develop through the scripture. Here's what I mean by it. God created men and women equal in their essential dignity and human personhood, but different and complementary in their nature and function. God created men and women equal, as we're going to see this morning in their essential dignity and personhood, yet different and complementary in their nature and function. The quick way to say it is equal yet different. Equal yet different. That is, not identical. Men and women are not identical, and they're not interchangeable. Now, that's the obvious. That's what I said. That used to be universally accepted, but not so much today. So equal yet different, but that different is a complementary difference. Complementary, it goes together. What's complementary mean? That's with an E, not an I. It's not saying nice things to people, giving them compliments. Complementary means fitting together, combining in such a way as to enhance or emphasize the qualities of each other. That's what complementary means. We use that word. We use it like that. Oh, they really complement one another. Oh, he really complements her. They, they go together. They enhance each other's qualities. It's a divine fittedness, if you will. A divine fittedness. It's different. They're different, but fitting together. That's what we mean by complementarity. Now, physical differences are obvious and undeniable, But these physical differences also reflect our personhood. It goes deeper than just physical differences to what is a manhood and a womanhood by design. And that's some of what we want to try to flesh out and see. So that's what I mean by complementarity. Equal yet different, and that different is a fittedness uh, together. One other note here under complementarity. This complementarity applies to life in general, It's the way we're made, and especially to functions in the family and in the church. That is, this divine complementary design has implications for roles and functions. And in this study, our study, we will focus primarily on family and the church. Why there? Because that's what the Bible focuses on. (laughs) That's what's prescribed in the Bible. We might be able to talk wider, but there we would be maybe drawing inferences. I could maybe share some opinions with you on that or some preference, and you would have to weigh that. But we want to mainly get at what is prescribed and described in the Bible, and the Bible focuses mainly on family and the church, as we'll get there. So with all that, with that introduction what complementarity is, and the design of the study, let's dig in. Let's get to it. Genesis chapter 1, foundations of biblical complementarity. It's the first part. The foundations, Genesis. The opening chapters of Genesis are as foundational, they are foundational for everything that happens in the Bible, aren't they? Hard to overstate the importance of the first few chapters of the Bible, the book of Genesis. They're foundational for everything that's going to happen in the Bible. They're not just the beginning of the story. It is the beginning of the story. But as the beginning of the story, it gives these massive stones for the theology of the Bible, for what's going to be worked out in the Bible. And that is especially true for the idea of the complementarity of men and women. It's found here. We start here. So these first few weeks of our study will be spent right here in the first few chapters of Genesis. Let's get the foundations, and then we want to see how those foundations are worked out in the grand sweep of the Scriptures right down to today. Genesis chapter 1 first Words of that chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter one is about the creation by God of the heavens and the earth. That's what this chapter is about. It's a remarkable. I wish we had time to spend. My fight all through this study will be try to keep focused on what we're studying and not go off here on other things. But you can read Genesis chapter one, God's creation of the cosmos, the created order. Cosmos means order, and that's what he's doing here. And the focus is on the in, the habitable land, the earth. Earth and land are the same Hebrew word, the habitable land for mankind. That's the focus, very unique focus in this chapter of Genesis. The commentator Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Genesis, he just notes this. Let me quote. He says, the creation story has stood as a bulwark against the. Succession of fashionable errors polytheism dualism the eternity of matter the evil of matter astrology and not least against every tendency to empty human history of meaning It resists this nihilism Explicitly in displaying man as god's image and region. We'll see that But also implicitly in presenting the tremendous acts of creation as a mere curtain raiser ...to the drama that slowly unfolds throughout the length of the Bible. The prologue, creation, is over in one page. There are a thousand pages to follow. It's a great perspective. This creation is given in one page. If every generation has needed this emphasis, perhaps none has greater need of it... ...than the age of scientific knowledge. The scientific account of the universe... As grand as it is, overwhelms us with statistics that reduce our apparent significance to vanishing point. Not the prologue, but the human history itself is now the single page in a thousand, and the whole terrestrial volume is lost among the uncatalogued millions. In face of these immensities, we should dare not set store on our own time and space, but for the divine word which orients us and reveals the true proportion. Through the apparent naivety of this earth-centered, history-centered account, God says to each generation, whether it is burdened with the weight of factual knowledge, which our own possesses, or with misleading fantasies of ancient religions, stand here on this earth and in this, in this present to get something of the whole. See this world as my gift and charge to you with sun and moon and stars as its lamps and timekeepers, its creatures under your care. See the present age as the time to which my creative work was moving. It's a good word. It's, a, it's an interesting perspective as he gives to creation. It's not a scientific account, as we know. He's not interested in, in the creation of solar systems and galaxies, but of the earth, the land, forming it. A habitable land for man. That's the focus. So in Genesis 1, what we have indeed is God ordering. He is ordering this universe from its rather disordered state that we have there in chapter 1 to a ordered state in The rest of the chapter. And that's how the chapter kind of lays out. It's really symmetrical. It's written very symmetrically. It's very structured. Days 1 through 3, God forms. Days 4 through 6, he fills. He forms and then he fills. And all of that creation is leading to the pinnacle. To the apex. Which is the creation of man. Let's read that, Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. That's where we'll pick up this story. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. It's on the screen, or you can follow in your Bible. Then God said, this is the sixth day of creation, the second part of it. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We'll stop there. Here's the pinnacle of the creation account. The normal pattern, if you've been reading Genesis 1, is broken slightly. And it's just going to highlight the uniqueness of man's creation. I just have two observations. I want to draw here two observations from that account. Number 1. Humanity Adam, it's the word, is made in God's image. Humanity man is made in God's image. That's the big point. <laughs> Humanity, Adam. I say it that way, Adam, Adam, because that's the word that's used. Look there at verse 26 again and notice, God said, then God said, let us, now up to this point he's always said just let there be light, let the earth bring forth vegetation, let it, and then he, he community, he says let us make man in our image. It's a change of form here, signifying That this is unique, it's different, significant. Let us make, you see the word man, Adam, singular, in our image, according to our likeness, and let them, plural, rule. See that? So this word, Adam, used singular, can be the name for Adam. You see that in chapter 2, the first man, Adam, or to refer to humanity. In general, we'd say the human race, Adam, and yet this Adam, this humanity, is plural. Let them, singular, and it's plural, and we'll see what that plurality is in just a moment, but at the very onset, that plurality within this singular Adam reflects God, reflects Him. Did did you notice, don't overlook when it says, what God says, let us make man in our image. It should catch you. Plural. The singular God, all through Genesis 1, God here is a plurality. He is. He is. Just, just just a little seed of what's going to be developed through the Scripture and in the New Testament of the Godhead. This God is a plurality. Man is too, and we'll see what that plurality is in just a moment. But the main point here of this is that this humanity is made in God's image. This is utterly unique and significant for human beings. It's what sets human beings, man, apart from all of creation. This is the most important thing for understanding who we are. Right at the beginning. We are made in the image and likeness of God. He says it three times. He said it there in verse 26. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Again in verse 27. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. This is what's significant. What does that mean? What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? Now volumes have been written on that. That's outside the scope of our study, but there's something very basic about being made in the image of God, about an image, right? Something very basic that they, these readers would have understood. An image reflects and represents the original, like a portrait, reflects, represents the original. This time, kings, often kings, like we study in book, kings, when they would conquer various lands, they would Make an image of themselves to leave. This represents me here. I rule here. More commonly, as we know, especially from the book of Kings, right, that people carved images of their gods and put them in their temples, didn't they? Wood and stone images. God, the God of the Bible, the creator, he forbids all man-made images and carvings. He forbids that. We are his image. All idolatry image is a perversion of this basic truth. We, we are made in his image. And as we read this story, in fact, it's fascinating. We'll see more of this in chapter 2. But there's a real sense that God created this earth, this habitable space, the heavens and the earth, he built the world as a cosmic temple. That's what the later the tabernacle and the temple that we study in Kings, they reflect this reality that this is his cosmic temple and he has placed his image in his temple and that is us. Not carved, not stone, human beings are the image of Of God to represent His presence and His reign in His stead. So that's what's basic about image. Now, indeed, there's something elusive here too. How are we like God? We know all the ways that we're not like God. How are we like Him? And people have wrestled. Is this some some attribute of man? And well, I don't think so. Refers to us how we're made, body, soul material immaterial we are by definition the image of God by creation and it's not yet quite revealed of what all that means until we get to the image of the invisible God the Son. but I'm getting ahead of myself that's where the story goes so what do I say about the image of God what can we say I'll say this much a unique connection to and reflection of God an inherent dignity and value of every person. What's the significance, the implication of being made in his image and his likeness? It is that we, human beings, have a unique connection to God. We are his image. None of the rest of the creation is his image like this. We have this unique connection to God and meaningful reflection of God. We have this special connection unlike any created being. So that if you harm the image, you dishonor God, the original. Did you know that? That's how connected we are. So later as we go in the story and we read of murder, and God says, I... Forbid murder, and murder is forbidden not just because God forbids it or because it does harm to neighbor, that's true, but he says, because in the image of God I made man. They're connected to me. That's why murder's wrong inherently, all the way down to slander. James chapter 3, we learned cursing a human being in the wrong way because we are connected to him. We're made in his image and we are to reflect him. We represent God. That's remarkable, isn't it? It's just really breathtaking when you read those words. We are in the image and likeness of God. Here is our great purpose, the reason for our existence, the reason you exist this morning. You reflect God. You're not your own. You're stamped with his image. You reflect him. An amazing thing. Greatest purpose for which we live, for which you exist today. Why are you here? Why do you exist We are made in the image and likeness of God. And that image and likeness, as I said there, gives us an inherent dignity and value. I just referred to that. Of every human being in the image of God. That's unlike any animal, any other creature, any other created thing, as great as it may be. Man, human beings... Are made in his image and therefore have this inherent inestimable value and dignity. So that we believe it doesn't matter. What your skin color is. We're here on MLK weekend holiday. That fight for. Rights and equality. As Christians as those who believe the Bible doesn't matter skin color, it doesn't matter race, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your ability or disability, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your wealth, it doesn't matter your intelligence. Every human being has an inherent dignity and value made in the image of God. It's what we believe. I hope you believe that. You see, we we have something objective and absolute of why we believe in the value of all human life. It's not relative. It's not based on their contribution to society or whether we think their life is valuable or how much they've done or contributed or what color their skin is. No, we have something absolute, and it's right here. It's so important. And that inherent dignity is men and women. We'll see that in just a moment. So let me say it strongly as I can say it. Men are not superior in value to women. They're not superior in value or in worth or importance to women. And I say it that way because the history of mankind has tried to say something different. Hasn't it? Culture after culture, society after society... Throughout history, where women are demeaned, seen as second class, seen as inherently inferior to men. Not in the Bible. Not so. Men and women equally in the image of God. So that's that first pillar of our complementarism, that there's an equality. God created us equal in personhood and dignity. And then notice, under this image of God, as part of this reflection of God as his image bearers, as image bearers, man is to rule over the rest of creation. As God's image bearers, man, man in that universal sense, is to rule over the rest of creation. Do you notice that? I said it twice here. Let us make man, verse 26, in our image and according to our likeness and let them, that's that plurality that we'll see in just a moment, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, everything, all the rest of the creation, man is to govern, to rule. And that is part of that reflection of God. God is ruler, God is king, God is creator, and he has given us... As his vice regents, if you will, to have dominion, to to rule over creation. Again, this is what sets man apart, mankind apart from the rest of the creation. Now, man, we, human beings, are part of creation. We're created. We have a lot of similarities with other parts of creation. The way we're made, from the dust, the way we eat like animals, the way we reproduce. So yes, we are part of the creation. We have a lot of overlap in our biology and in our makeup with the rest of creation, yet we are distinct and over all creation because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So we as human beings are not merely a more advanced life form more sophisticated we have thumbs we can use right we're not just a little bit more advanced intellectually no we are in the image and likeness of god and as such he has given us to rule over all creation and that will include this ruling whatever that means includes men and women That's the them, So we're going to see in a minute in verse 26, Let them rule over. It's not just a bunch of guys. (laughs) Let them rule over. The them he has in mind are men and women, as he's going to say. In verse 28, he'll say it again. And God blessed them, male, female, and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea. So it includes men and women in this most basic function of humanity representing God. Now... We don't have time to kind of flesh out all that it means here. What does it mean to rule? How does it relate to the care of creation, our enjoyment of it, protecting it, all those things for another, another study? Or how this rule is affected by the fall into sin? It is affected significantly. We don't have time for all that. That's not quite the part of our study. We'll to touch on a few of those things as we go, but just see that as God's image bearers that we are distinct and we have this grand purpose that he's given us right at the beginning. So that's my first observation and it is essential. Humanity is made in God's image. Here's the second observation that follows on and just as crucial. Number 2, humanity Again, Adam, that word, is created male and female. Humanity, Adam, is created male and female. Look there again at verse 27. 27 is almost written as a lyric. It's almost poetic. After God announces his intention to make man in our image, in our likeness, And he spells it out, he does it in verse 27. And God created man, that's that singular use, Adam, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, singular. And then male and female, he created them. You see it? So this man, this Adam, this humanity, is created male and female. That's that plurality within this humanity here. He created them male and female. Man, mankind, is both male and female. Now, it's pretty clear both are in the image of God, right? As you follow verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He's not referring to Adam there. Same word. But it's not just Adam created, no, he's created mankind. And what is that mankind? Male and female. He created them, both equally in the image of God. Now, he does this kind of thing. If if you have a Bible, just turn over a couple pages to chapter 5, verse 1, and and you'll see this again. This singular man, Adam, is created male and female in his image. So chapter 5, verse 1, this is after the fall of Man into sin and rebellion and expulsion from the garden. We'll get to all that. But he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. That's that same word, but we're going to talk about the genealogy of that specific man, first man, Adam, who's a real man. But then it says, in the day when God created Adam, (laughs) singular, he made him in the likeness of God. So here's another reference to this image or likeness of God. He created them male and female. And he blessed them, and notice, and named them Adam in the day when they were created. Did you notice that? Who did he name Adam? Male and female. Adam. Man. Male and female. That's, that's kind of fascinating. Now, that's going to also be the name of the first man, Adam. So we should probably think about that, and we will more next week. Why does he do that? He could have named him Peter. Peter and Eve. This doesn't roll off the tongue. Joe, maybe Joe and Eve, right? could have named him anything. Why does he name him Adam and names the race Adam? I do think it's significant. I think it's going to point to this unique, what I'll call headship, of Adam in connection to the human race. Here. So, but we'll save that for next week. Here, the emphasis is on male and female. So let's go back to that, the emphasis on male and female. So let me state things that are really obvious, but no longer so obvious today, that we just need to state. This is the first time. This is the first time in the creation account that male and female are s- specified. He doesn't do that with any of the other creation accounts. Now we know animals and others are male and female. In this biological sense, first time he does it, he's emphasizing this, that God creating man in his image, it's male and female. So here's the obvious. God designed only two sexual kinds, male and female, as part of his good creation. God designed only two sexual kinds, male and female, as part of his good creation creation and i say that because he's going to end this chapter by looking at all that he saw and says it is very good this is god's design now again this is this is obvious i don't mean to insult your intelligence it is obvious and yet more essential today than it's ever been there's two male and female and in the bible as we see our Gender, what we call gender today, how we live out our maleness or femaleness, is bound to its roots as a biological reality. So the Bible knows there's two, male and female, by God's design. There's not 20, there's not 50, there's not one, there's two. And that gender that is how we live this out is inseparable from its biological roots that is not detached it's not merely a psychological reality that's what we're being told today in all of the gender issues that though I may physically be male or female I feel like it's a psychological state of my gender and I don't doubt that there are those who are confused, who really wrestle with a feeling of confusion. And we, we need to show compassion there and, and just come back to this reality, this reality to our very makeup and identity, that there are two by God's good design, male and female. And he doesn't make a mistake here. Again, let's, let's just pause here and just marvel, because we don't get to enough that this is his design No doubt he could have created differently. He didn't have to make two different kinds of human beings. He could have propagated the race in some other way. But this, this is God's wise, beautiful, super intelligent design and plan. Just glory in that. Let's not just read over that. Let's not take that for granted. Male and female, he created them. The whole human race, Kevin Young writes, is, has always been, and will always be comprised of two differentiated and complementary sexes. Just let that hit you. It's God's design, and it will always be. It's his good design. It's his beautiful design. We should glory in manhood and womanhood, not shrink from it, and not just immediately try to make it the same. We should glory in it. Just think about Think about your life, man, woman, men, women, boys, girls. Is there any aspect of human life that affects every other aspect of your human life more than being male or female? It affects every aspect of who we are. Almost everything in our life is shaped by being a man or a woman. By God's design. His good design. So just just glory in it. Relish it. This is God's beautiful design. And let's help others see it as a beautiful design. And then one last note. As God's representative rulers, man, woman, they, that is, male and female, are blessed to multiply and fill the earth with image bearers. (laughs) Do You see that? After God creates, verse 27, male and female, he created them, verse 28, and God blessed them. He blessed them. That's really remarkable. God blessed them, and here's his blessing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over everything that moves on the earth. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Hmm. That's the first complementary function of, of male and female. Again let me state the obvious. In God's design. The man or the woman cannot do this alone. So reflecting God. Or the image of God. And reflecting that to the world. And this first blessing slash command. Is fill the earth with image bears. I'm blessing you with the power, the privilege to bring forth life. God could have just kept creating (laughs) a dust. Giving this to you, it's a blessing. It's man and woman, male and female, to fill the earth with image bearers. The man or the woman cannot do this alone. So right at the start, they are designed physically in a complementary way to fulfill this foundational function. Again, that's obvious, but let's say it. They are designed physically in a complementary way. It's the first complementary function that we see to fulfill this foundational function. Now, we're going to see this more next week, chapter 2, that the way this function is fulfilled is in the context of of a one man and a one woman in this union that we call marriage. That's chapter 2. We'll see it more. But here it is, right at the foundation. Image bears. Fill the earth. You are images of me. You reflect me, so fill the earth with your image bears. Now, let me just add a note here. If you are single, not married, or you don't have children. You you are still every much as bit in the image of God. Right? Every much as bit. You are in the likeness of God. You reflect God. And you are still part of this overarching design of God to reflect Him. Still there. He's speaking generally to This blessing he's given to man and woman, but not every male and female will participate directly in it. We'll we'll talk more about that through this series, but I just want to say it at the beginning. So there we are. That's the first foundation. This beautiful design of biblical complementarity, what is it? What do we see in the foundation number one? Well, that God created us, male and female, in his image, and he created us male and female. And male and female are created equally in the image of God. They have an equality of value and personhood, and yet they are created in a complementary way to reflect the glory of God. And so next week, we're going to flesh out, the Bible is, chapter 2. It's going to take a kind of a focus down on the exact creation of man and woman and give us all kinds of of things that are significant for the rest of the Bible. Chapter 2 is probably the most foundational when it comes to the complementary nature of man and woman. So so read through that and we'll see it. But let let me end this way. This being made in God's image and likeness is our identity and it is our destiny. It's who we are created to be We are by creation in the image of God, and we will be in ways that we can't conceive. Certainly not here. In the fall, we're going to get to it in chapter 3, when man rebels against this God and rebels against this design and seeks to create his own identity. So tragic we'll see that and what effect that has on the damage to human beings we are still in the image of God but our reflection of God is severely marred as we rebel in our sin and yet God in his grace this is his intention for mankind male and female this is his intention in the image of god he hasn't forgot that intention his intention all along is to give his son christ who was called the image of the invisible god we really don't know what all this image is until we get to the Son, the image of the invisible god who takes on flesh and he comes to renew this image. To renew, to recreate in ways that we could not have imagined. That's what Christ comes to do. This is our destiny. So that in the New Testament, I'll just give you these two verses and I'll be done. Romans. Just got to connect everything to Romans. Right? Because it all does. Paul gets to everything in this book. Remember, remember what we saw? Verse 29 of Romans, for whom he foreknew, speaking of his people, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he, the son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's come now to conform us to the image of Christ, who is the image of God. And we we learned in Colossians, the other verse, just to leave you with, Colossians chapter 3, again, speaking of believers, that we have, you put on, he says, the new man, the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. That's right back to Genesis. It's being renewed in Christ. We're being conformed to Christ, the image of the one who created him, in which there is no distinction. There's not racial distinctions. There's not economic distinctions. There's no distinction. Christ is all and in all. So I just, I want to say to you this morning, you as a human being, you are made in God's image. You, you have a, a, a worth that you cannot conceive of and a purpose to reflect Him. But sin has marred that reflection. And the only way that you reflect him today is in Christ. Christ renews it. Are you in Christ? Christ is the image. He's, that's the future. We'll be conformed to him. So the way you live out this purpose, this greatest purpose, is in Christ alone. May be found in him. Let me pray. We'll pick this up next Sunday. Father, we, we marvel... When we read of these just remarkable truths of who we are, what is man that you should take thought of him? (laughs) We're made in your image, in your likeness, male and female. Oh, give us a vision for that, to glory in it, that we reflect you and the beauty of being man or woman by your design, your good design. Help us to grow in what that means and to reflect your beauty to our world. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.